Hello, fellow law nerds. Welcome to another episode of Boom Lawyered, a Rewire News Group podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that really thinks everyone needs to stand up for trans kids. For the love of God! I'm Rewire News Group's editor-at-large, Imani Gandhi. And I'm Jess Piccolo, Rewire News Group's executive editor. Rewire News Group is the one and only home for expert repro journalism that inspires you to learn about sex-based discrimination against trans kids. And the Boom Lawyered podcast is part of that mission. So a big thanks to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners. Ugh. So, last week, Amani, the 11th Circuit basically shit the bed. All right? Mm-hmm. They allowed Alabama's gender-affirming care ban to go into effect, and that's terrible not just for Alabama, but also for Georgia and Florida, both of which are located in the 11th Circuit, and both of which also have gender-affirming care bans being litigated right now. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, didn't y'all just do a huge trans rights episode right before the holidays? What gives? And you're right. On December 1st of last year, we dropped a podcast about the cases out of Tennessee and Kentucky, which are basically waiting for the Supreme Court to tap them on the shoulder and push them out onto the stage. And if you want a deeper dive into those cases, and if you want to understand why those cases might spell the end for gender-affirming care in this country, please go check out that episode. Yeah, please do. It's an excellent deep dive, and it really informs the conversation that we're having today. Because the case we're going to talk about today is, like I said, out of the 11th Circuit and allowed Alabama's gender-affirming care ban to take effect Thursday of last week. So this is the case. All right. Strap in, Amani. This is... Here we are. All right. It's called Eknis Tucker versus Ivy. And it's also been Beau versus Marshall because, you know, we've got changes in attorney generals and sometimes folks aren't using their legal names. They're using pseudonyms. But it's a legal challenge to SB 184. And that's an Alabama law known as, I already hate it, the Vulnerable Child Compassion and Protection Act. And this law purports to restrict medical care for trans kids. This is what it does. SB 184 makes it a felony for parents to try and get their transgender children the necessary medical care they need. And anyone who helps trans kids obtain that care could face up to 10 years in prison. That includes parents and doctors. The lawsuit was filed by a group of Alabama parents alleging that the law strips them of their right to make important decisions about their children's health care, as well as a pediatrician, a clinical psychologist, and Reverend Paul Eknis Tucker, who is a pastor at Pilgrim United Church of Christ in Birmingham. The Reverend, the good Reverend. The good Reverend. The good Reverend. (laughs) Reverend Agnes Tucker has said, quote, as a minister, I counsel parents with transgender children about how best to love and support their children. Under SB 184, those conversations now come with a risk of of criminal prosecution. So, yeah, prosecute the pastors act is what this is. Yeah, and that's what it should be called. That what was it? Violence, Vulnerable Child Compassion and Protection Act. I just pushed a button. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Lord of mercy. So in May 2022, a lower court ruled that, number one, parents have a fundamental right to direct the medical care of their children subject to accepted medical standards. And number two, discrimination based on gender nonconformity equates to sex discrimination. On that basis, on those bases, the court found that the gender-affirming care ban was uh, was likely unconstitutional 
and issued a preliminary injunction blocking Alabama from enforcing it pending trial. Now, it was a solid ruling grounded in fact. The ruling came after a two-day evidentiary hearing that was held on May 5th and May 6th in 2022, during which physicians and other medical professionals discussed the harm that occurs to trans kids' health when they suffer gender dysphoria and are not given care that has been proven time and again to be safe and necessary. Mm -hmm. According to data presented before the court, over 22 major medical organizations recognize this, this, the established course of care for trans kids. Plaintiff parents testified in court about the enormous benefits that their children's health and wellness had received after having access to quality medical care, as well as the severe harm that would result from having to discontinue treatment. I mean, you have to remember, some of these are kids that have been on puberty blockers right. and that are being forced off of puberty blockers as a result of these laws. Notably, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Alabama chapter of the Academy of Pediatrics, the American Medical Association, and a bunch of other state and national medical organizations submitted an amicus brief, a friend of the court brief, to the trial court stating that the medical community had reached a consensus when it comes for standards of care for trans kids, and they were opposing these gender-affirming care bans like SB 184, which criminalized that care. But none of that mattered. None of that mattered because the federal judiciary is stacked with outcome-determinative Trump judges. Okay, but Imani, to be fair to Trump judges, the guy who issued the preliminary injunction in the lower court is also a Trump judge. But we don't have to hand it to Trump judges, Jess. We never have to hand it to a Trump judge. I mean, you're right. You're right. Like, we don't. And I'm not trying to necessarily hand it to the Trump judges. I guess I'm just more surprised that there's a Trump judge who actually follows the law rather than spewing the right-wing talking points uh, fed to them by the Federalist Society, right? Like, this is a breath of fresh air. So I'm going to hand it to this guy this one time because Judge Lyle Burke's ruling blocking the law made sense. He actually read parental rights as they should be read, right? And not through this narrow lens of the Moms for Liberty nonsense that we've had circulating in the last year around parental rights. Fair enough, fair enough. It does seem reasonable to hand it to this one guy just the one time, but I'm not putting my switchblade down yet. Okay, Amani, calm down. He's a federal judge. (laughs) We want to be careful. FBI, don't call me. I'm, I'm, I'm not even serious i'm not even serious it was one of those plastic knives that they use in horror movies exactly you know, that like, like goes right in and it retracts right right it's cool <laughs> it's cool it plastic nub. it's cool merrick garland <laughs> chill out anyway <laughs> judge burke ruled that the ban likely violated the due process rights of parents to direct their kids medical care specifically to treat their kids with puberty blockers subject to medically accepted standards like Oh, my God. So much common sense. He also said that the law likely violated the equal protection rights of trans kids since the act, quote, places a special burden on transgender minors because of their gender identity does not match their birth sex. Again, so much common sense. Common sense. Oh, my gosh. And wait, wait till I tell you this part. He also said that Alabama hadn't produced any credible evidence to show that transition that transitioning medications are, quote unquote, experimental. This Trump judge was looking for evidence. What? Yeah. Well, what? Imagine that. Imagine that. OK, so shout out to that guy, to that fucking to that guy. that fucking guy. <laughs> 
for bucking the Trump judge trend, right? And actually ruling correctly. And for that, he's probably on Leonard Leo's shit list right now. So, buddy, you better watch your back. Yeah, man, not he's not me, getting a cruise again, or anything. My and- knife is plastic, but Leonard Leo, he might, t- he might toss you out a window. I don't know. That's yeah. shady. Yeah, you're not getting a cruise. Okay, so let's talk about the appeals process in yeah. this case. Let's do it. In August 2023, after the law had already been blocked for more than a year, a three-judge panel of the 11th Circuit ruled that the Alabama law is likely constitutional and tossed out the injunction. All three of these judges are Trump judges, and not the Lyle Burke kind, right? These judges, led by Barbara Lagoa, ruled that the district court used the wrong level of scrutiny for reviewing the case. And now you know how I love talking about levels of judicial scrutiny. I'm not going to go into it too much again because I don't want to get too hot on the collar. But... (laughs) We've talked about this, right? Right. We've talked about the level of review that should be applied to cases involving trans rights. We've talked about how there's rational basis review, Mm -hmm. which is basically the government gets to do whatever the fuck it wants and the courts can't do anything about it. And then there's heightened scrutiny, a level of heightened scrutiny, either strict scrutiny or intermediate scrutiny. And those levels require a state to come up with either a compelling interest for strict scrutiny or an exceedingly persuasive justification for immediate scrutiny in order to justify the state doing what it did. Here, they need to use one of those three levels of scrutiny, rational basis, intermediate, or heightened, to justify banning gender-affirming care for trans kids. Well, these fucking clowns decided that rational basis review applies. So, tough shit, trans kids. I mean, that's not what Lagoa said. I mean, she might as well have, right? Like, the notion, the notion that only rational basis review should apply is preposterous, right? Trans trans people are literally the most under siege population in this country right now, right? They are a discreet and insular minority. There's not a lot of them, right? Mm -hmm. They lack the political power to protect themselves as evidenced by the fact that we've got these gender-affirming care bans pouring out of state legislatures across the country, right? What the actual fuck, Jess? That's what I want to know. How do you get to <laughs> rational basis review? That doesn't make sense. It's wrong. It's wrong. Do you feel better? I do, actually. Okay, <laughs> good. I'm glad because this is, you know, I mean, you should be upset about this. And now that you're done yelling, I would like to yell a little bit if I can. Please do. Please. For the love of God, can conservatives on the bench around the country stop relying on Dobbs for ludicrous propositions? Just ludicrous propositions, yeah. okay? Because Say more. Say more. Oh, listen, <laughs> sister. What? <laughs> you just hit me with a sister. <laughs> One of the reasons Lagoa gave for discriminating against trans kids when it comes to health care is that the courts have to look at whether the right is deeply rooted in this country's history and tradition when determining the constitutionality of rights. And since using puberty blockers for kids is not deeply rooted in our nation's history, tough shit, trans kids. That's yeah, you just Dobbs said she didn't principle. say tough shit trans kids, but she did just say tough shit trans kids. She did. What the fuck, man? She did. She fucked. She basically gave him the suck it. Right? She did. <laughs> suck it, trans kids. Like these people are 
awful. You're so awful. Here's actually what she said, which is the TLDR tough shit trans kids. But but here it is in legalese, okay? The plaintiffs have not presented any authority that supports the existence of a constitutional right to treat one's children with transitioning medications subject to medically accepted standards. Now, I don't have any idea if that's how she actually sounds, but like she's so (laughs) insufferable in writing that I imagine she sounds like that on the bench, right? But the reality is this is originalism on steroids and not the good like Kentucky Brown Jackson kind of originalism. It is where the Trump judges, these activist judges get to project their own very limited view of what was going on when this country was founded and then subject us all to it in this the year of our Lord 2024. Right. Like, why on God's green earth do I care in 2024 that motherfuckers in 1868 weren't widely using puberty blockers? What does that have to do with the fact that kids use them now and need them now and it's acceptable medical care now? And also, do we know that they weren't? Like, today's puberty blockers, today's puberty blockers did not exist. But to the extent that we know folks were like, you know, dressing in drag to fight in the Civil War, for example, it's not like trans folks have just suddenly you know, are like a creature of the modern age, right? Like coming fully formed out of the head of like Ruth Bader Ginsburg or something, right? Like that's not the case. Trans people have always existed and will continue to exist regardless of what the law says. So when originalism pulls this deeply rooted nonsense, that it should be a tremendous red flag that we're just in for some fuckery. And the the idea that she would say that the plaintiffs have not presented any authority that supports this right. Hey, man, the authority's in the due process clause, right? (laughs) Substantive due process. Anybody? You ever heard of it? The authority's in the equal protection clause. Ever heard of that one? Yeah. Like, what is not sinking in for these people? Do they need every, every aspect of our lives who have been written out in the Constitution by dudes in white wigs? Like, I'm sorry. What? What? The arguments aren't complicated. No, they're not complicated. Parents have a substantive due process right to direct their kids' medical care. Mm-hmm. Bing, bang, boom. Yeah. If you want it, and if you want it in its like more original terms, like if you want it in legalese, the Supreme Court has found that parents' authority to care for their children is a, quote, principle of justice so rooted in the traditions and conscience of our people as to be ranked as fundamental. That's some originalist bullshit right there, right? Not the bad bullshit, but the good bullshit, right? If you want originalism, the Supreme Court has found that parents' authority to care for their children is a principle of justice so rooted in the traditions and conscience of our people as to be ranked as fundamental. That's from a 1934 case called Snyder v. Massachusetts. In 1979, in a case called Parham v. J.R., and they're going to be talking about Parham once when we're going to be litigating parental rights for a very long time, yep. and they're going to be talking about Parham v. J.R. for a very long time. The Supreme Court said in that case that it is a principle of justice. This principle of justice includes the right to seek and follow medical advice, right? Right. Case after case after case has affirmed this right. So frankly, the 11th Circuit ruling to the contrary is just wrong. Like it's not open to interpretation. Like there's a lot of times stuff is open to, this is not open to interpretation. They are wrong. Yeah, and they're wrong on their Equal Protection Clause analysis too because it is plain and simple under the Equal Protection Clause that this is discrimination on the basis of sex. Alabama could bar the use of puberty blockers to all kids, but that's not what they're doing. Instead, Alabama is banning them on the basis of sex. 
Alabama is banning puberty blockers only when they're being used to transition. In fact, I love this line in one of plaintiff's briefs. Listen to this, all right? Quote, before passage of the act, the only information a doctor needed to prescribe hormones or puberty blockers was the patient's medical need. After passage, a doctor must also know the person's sex. If that is not a clear case base of sex-based discrimination, Amani, I don't know what is. Before the law, doctors only needed this one bit of information. After the law, they needed the same bit of information plus sex. And it's that plus sex that's the determinative factor here. Right. And it's a, it's a, as you said, it's a clear case of sex-based discrimination and it's also like, and I keep t- coming back to this, it's a case of discrimination against trans people qua trans people. Did you just say qua again? I did. I did. I love a qua in the wild. You really I, I do. do. But for those of you our like who are like pepper claws not, in conversation. <laughs> wherever, wherever I can. <laughs> but for those who are not up on their Latin law nerd terminology, it basically means discrimination against trans people qua trans people basically means discrimination against trans people as trans people, right? On the basis of being trans, mm-hmm. not because of some other reason like sex, which is also a valid reason for constitutional analysis, but it is not the only reason, right? Right, right. right. And also, just want to remind folks that Justice with the Good Beard, Neil Gorsuch, has already said- <laughs> <laughs> Did you just say Justice with the Good Beard? <laughs> Becky with the bad grades, Justice with the good beard. Oh my God, that's funny. Go on. Justice Neil Gorsuch has already said in Bostock that it's impossible to discriminate against a person for being trans without discriminating against the individual based on their sex. Like, take it from the beard man, not me, right? Take it from the beard man. And and Bostock was real quickly. That was a title. Yeah. So Bostock was a Supreme Court case um, that uh, looked at trans discrimination in the workplace under Title VII and found that firing someone for transitioning in the workplace turns out as violation of employment law of of Title VII, right? And even though Alabama tries to distinguish Bostock on the basis that it's a Title VII case, like I just said, an employment case, and not an equal protection case, SCOTUS has already said that difference doesn't really matter. The court relies on equal protection analysis in Title VII cases and vice versa all the time. It informs each other. You don't do one without the other, basically. Right. And the fact that Alabama, like, legit tried to argue that, I mean— it's just bad faith in my view. I mean, I know you're supposed to throw whatever arguments work and that makes sense, but they have to make sense. Yeah. I mean, there used to be a sense. rule 11 sanctions for shit like that. They did, it really, truly. Whatever happened, Liz, got to bring those back. What's interesting to me about this case, the, the gender affirming care ban cases generally, and the discussion about parental rights is that there's a parallel case on contraception that's making its way to the Supreme Court right now. And we have done an episode on that case as well. It's called Deanda versus Becerra. And that case is about whether or not a parent can direct their child's medical care when it comes to contraception. And people will scream hypocrisy, right? Oh, Imani, you're being so hypocritical because you think that parents should be able to direct their children's care when it comes to gender affirming care and child mutilation because you're a jackass who 
it makes me so angry. But when it comes to a father, a loving Christian patriarch who just wants to make sure that his daughter's knees are being closed, then all of a sudden you don't care about a parent um, being able to direct their child's medical care. And here's what I have to say to that. Mm. When it comes to a parent trying to prevent their daughter or their child from using contraception when that child wants to go to a Title X funded clinic and get that contraception absent any control from their parents, that parent is acting adversely to their child, right? The child wants something. The child wants health care, has a right to this health care. And the parent is saying, no, you don't. Mm -hmm. Conversely, when you're talking about gender affirming care bans, you've got parents and children who are aligned in their interest. Right. Both the parents and the child want the gender affirming care and the state is coming in and saying, no, you can't do that. Yeah. So that's why it's different. Right. Right. But it's going to be a very interesting discussion. That's going to be at the forefront of the discussion, like on social media, in the news, like everywhere. This hypocrisy from, you know, people who believe in reproductive justice when it comes to parental rights to control use of contraception and the state's right to control a child's access to gender affirming care. They're different things. And don't let people. Don't let people try and call you a hypocrite. Remember, they're different things. They are. And I'll actually level that up one, too, because in Deanda, what that parent is asserting is actually an assault on my rights as a parent as well, because it's not just that Deanda wants to block his kids from access to contraception at Title X clinics. He wants to block all kids' access to mm -hmm. contraception at Title X clinics. That infringes on my right as a parent to let my children make those decisions as we see fit, right, in our household. Gender-affirming care bans, they don't pinch my rights as a parent at all. What do I care if a parent in good faith with medical professionals doing the best that they know how to do by their child determines that transitioning this way is the appropriate course of action from them? It's no skin off my back. And so that is, I think, another layer, too, where, you know, these attacks, these weaponizations of parental rights are about more than just immediate families. It's about, like, literally controlling the ways families like mine parent as well. And screw that. You don't get to tell me what to say or what to do. That is such a great point. And it's the first time I've heard you make it. And I fucking love it. And I just wanted to say that <laughs> it's a very, very good point because I'm not a parent. And so that didn't occur to me to think of it from that from that perspective. So I love that. Jess. Thank you. Where are we now? What's in the bad place, Amani. We're in the bad place. Oh, you mean with what this can case? Our listeners expect? With this yeah, case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're in the bad place, but I mean, we're also in the bad place, place with this case, too. So, okay. So, so, where do things stand with this 11th Circuit case? All right. The 11th Circuit dropped the order that tossed out the preliminary injunction just sort of out of nowhere. Like, all of a sudden, we we're like, holy shit, here are press releases and people are talking about this again. We hadn't been thinking about it for a while. Since then, the plaintiff has asked the 11th uh, Circuit for a rehearing in. On bonk, and that means in front of the full panel, but there's been no response yet. That'll take a little bit of time. The only response so far was to lift the preliminary injunction that had been blocking Alabama from enforcing its ban. So we're basically in a holding pattern right now, waiting for a response. Meanwhile, we're also waiting for a response from the Supreme Court about whether it's going to take up the Tennessee and Kentucky cases involving those states' gender affirming care bans. Those ca that case is going to be consolidated under the name LWV Scrimetti, but the Texas case, I believe, is called Thornbury versus Doe. What so, that all means yeah. 
is that we will be getting a trans right case, a substantive one at the court at some point, right? Um, we've got a big split now. We've got the Sixth Circuit and the Eleventh Circuit, which have upheld bans, and the Eighth Circuit, which you've talked about, which struck down Arkansas's. So that right there is just like a pressure cooker. And we actually mm-hmm. also had random uh, trans rights news from the court this week as well. The court decided to not take up a trans bathroom discrimination case out of Indiana. And that's interesting. Saw a lot of chatter about that. And I actually talk about this case a little bit this week in the fallout. Um, so I won't go into too much of the detail there. But basically what the Supreme Court did was issue an order that's really limited to this particular student. And the ACLU of Indiana had argued to the Supreme Court, hey, don't take up this case right now. It doesn't even really apply. The student at issue is no longer at the school. They've moved on to high school, which has a different policy. And so functionally, it sounded like, you know, I mean, the the justices don't ever really give us a reason for what they for what they do, but that they probably just agreed that now or that case was not the right vehicle. But look, like I said, this is going to hit the court and probably next term, just given where we are in the calendar, because right now we've got the Fourth Circuit and that covers Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, West Virginia and Virginia. That circuit has held that those kind of bathroom bans that I just mentioned, the Indiana one, those violate Title IX and equal protection guarantees, right? Here we are with the statute and the equal protection clause in the same breath. Meanwhile, the 11th Circuit, right, that covers Alabama, Florida, Georgia, they've held otherwise. They've said bathroom bans actually don't violate Title IX and equal protection analysis. So you know what that means, Imani? Circuit split! Circuit split! You get a circuit split and you get a... Look under your chair. There's There's a a circuit circuit split! split. And back when things were normal, circuit splits were how the Supreme Court resolved these big issues. They let things play out in the appellate courts to let the law get more robustly developed. It wasn't this, like, rocket docket on the shadow, right? Like, I mean, that's just, like, that's how we've become accustomed to things. And so maybe... We're seeing the trans right cases play out in a more routine fashion rather than the sort of champing at the bit to undo everything abortion related that has got Alita's fingerprints all over it. I wonder if that's because it's more it's like a novel, quote unquote, novel issue that the court really hasn't addressed yet. So that like the abortion well cases, be. like they've been doing abortion cases for 50 years and they're like, fuck it, get rid of it on the shadow docket. But with the trans rights, I think they probably I think maybe even they know that they have to approach this like with the with the normal like, you know, procedure of the Supreme Court, which is really not that unusual. But we're talking about it like it's an unusual thing because it, unfortunately it has become unusual. My God. My God, indeed. Well. If you would like to talk to Jess or me about any of the things we've talked about today or any other things, really, if you want to talk to us about how Janet Jackson is coming to Denver with Nelly, with Nelly, <laughs> we might have to go and do that. I don't know. Maybe that's our 50th, uh, 50th birthday celebration. Ooh. Go see Janet. But if you want to talk to us about Janet Demita Joe Jackson, as our producer just put in our chat, (laughs) you can find me on Twitter. I'm back on Twitter. The the, the break didn't last. So I'm still, I'm back on Twitter. Angry Black Lady. Jess is on Twitter at Hegemami, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. I'm on Blue Skies and Blue Skies, Blue Skies, Blue Sky Threads. You should follow Rewire News Group on Twitter, on Threads, on Blue Sky, on TikTok. Our 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 uh, our t- our social media content creator on TikTok, Christian. They're amazing, beige baby Jesus. You got to check them out. That's and, never not uh, funny to me. I'm sorry. 
I love saying beige baby Jesus because I have a friend, but you know, Aaron, one of yeah. my closest friends, he's black, black Jesus. So I'm like black Jesus and beige baby Jesus. I got two Jesuses in my life. It's fantastic. Um, and if you want to follow Rewire on Instagram, you should do that. You should yeah. definitely do that. And aside from that, what are we going to do? Get a drink and see on the tubes, folks. Get a drink, see on the tubes. Excellent plan. Excellent plan. 